Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. We are in uh, 1 Samuel and uh, working our way through that, uh, the God who provides. Uh, Today we're going to jump into a few chapters, um, cover a bit of ground but mainly focus on chapter 15. Uh, Tell me this though, I've been asked this question and probably um, Hannah was alluding to this before. Uh, Do you have to teach your children to learn obedience or disobedience? You're probably all answering straight away, aren't you? What comes naturally for them? Uh, The little boy stands over near his toy box with his little brother or sister sort of moving in that direction rapidly. And I've got to be careful what name I use here when I say this illustration. Mum calls out, Elliot. No, 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 no. (laughs) Jimmy. Jimmy, make sure you share those toys, Jimmy. You look into Jimmy's eyes and you can see everything happening in his mind in that moment. You know exactly what's happening in his mind. He doesn't want to obey you. Disobedience is our natural default position of the human being. So we're going to see that today in the sense of disobedience on a much larger scale when we look at Israel's first king, King Saul, and the disastrous foundations it builds when we choose the path of disobedience. Come with me to um, chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, and we're going to read from verse 17 through to 35. Verse 17. And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and I've brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and I've devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, and the best of the things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, To obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king of Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. 
Then he said, I have sinned, yet honour me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, Your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went to his house in Gibeah of Saul, and Saul did not and Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Father, we thank you that we can uh, come and gather this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the precious gift of your word. Pray in our Holy Spirit, please, as we just um, look here at what's happening in the life of Saul and his disobedience. I pray, awaken our hearts today that it is better to obey your word than to sacrifice. Better to listen than offer up the fat of rams, as it were. Please help us now, we pray. We ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, there's a few tricky little details. If you had a read through uh, those chapters today, we're not going to go into lots of detail. We'll touch a little bit on them. We'll take more of a broad sweep over these three chapters, which is chapters 13, 14 and 15, and spending a little bit more time on chapter 15. General context of where we are at, our theme for Samuel is, as you would have seen before, that God always provides. And God's going to do this again. He's providing a king for Israel of their choosing, not God's choosing at this particular time. Uh, They want Israel, they want a Thor. They want a Chris Hemsworth, as we spoke about the other week, for their king, just like all the other nations around about them, because they think that's what will save them. They think a Thor is going to save them. So God gives them what they want, not what they need as the kingdom of that time, and they get Saul. It's a really rocky road for Israel to get to this point, but God's going to use all these circumstances here to keep revealing himself, that is God, to them. And also they'll understand a little bit more of their own hearts and what's happening inside them as well in the same process. And what the writer of Samuel actually does through this book for us is actually give us contrasts. We're going to see a contrast here between King Saul and King David. We actually see contrasts of people at the same time through the book of Samuel. Uh, If you read through chapter 14, you'll see the godly courage of Jonathan, Saul's son, rise up and do great things for Israel. But that's a contrast to Saul's ineptitude when it comes to leadership as well and his failure there. So the writer of Samuel is actually giving us these contrasts here of various people, ones who honour the Lord and ones who don't honour the Lord. As I said, God's going to use Saul as a contrast to David. What we're going to see in Saul is uh, all of his failures marked by hypocrisy. Uh, He'll fear man and not fear God. He'll obey people and not obey God. And ultimately, Saul will not be a king who honours God. And for this, he will be rejected as the king, rejected by the Lord from the kingship. Now, there's a really key verse here that helps set the context of actually where these contrasts are coming from. It's back in chapter 12. We're going to read it now just to help us. So Sharon will bring that up for us. Uh, this is where they were inaugurating the State of the Nation address last week. And it says this, If you will fear the Lord, talking to the nation of Israel and the king, if you, this is Samuel speaking, sorry, if you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well if you do all that. 
But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Samuel makes it really clear here what it is to be the kingship in this kingdom. So here's where we're heading. Uh, To disobey God will ultimately bring destruction upon our lives, whilst obeying the Lord yields a life of blessing in his presence. So we're going to try and tease that out as we look at these uh, chapters, particularly 15 today. And again, we'll highlight Saul's failures here through these chapters, and then we're going to finish with the blessing of pleasing God as well. So kick it off, Samuel 13 gives us a picture here of Saul actually starting his reign on a bad note. He didn't actually start off on a good note, he actually starts off on a bad note. His son Jonathan has shown some godly courage and defeated this Philistine garrison out on its own. What does that do? That gets up the nose of the Philistines, how dare you go and take out one of our garrisons? So they now plan this massive counter-attack. You're not going to do that and get away with it. We're actually going to counterattack now. So they go and do that. Saul is gathered with his army at Gilgal and he's waiting there for Samuel to turn up and to make the offerings of worship to the Lord before they go to engage in the battle. And that is the role of the priest is to actually make these offerings. He's instructed to wait seven days and I'll be there. The seventh day of waiting approaches and Samuel still hasn't arrived. The day hasn't been completed. It's just arrived. So Saul decides to make these offerings himself. He can't wait any longer. But Samuel does turn up later on that seventh day. So he did come on the seventh day. And he's got this to say in verses 11 and 12. Samuel said, what have you done? It's pretty telling words, isn't it? What have you done, Saul? And Saul said, when I saw the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed... And that the Philistines had mustered at Mishmash, not at Gilgal, another place, Mishmash. Sounds like mashed potatoes, doesn't it, a little bit there? I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favour of the Lord. So I forced myself. I forced myself to do it. I didn't want to do it. I forced myself to do it. And I offered the burnt offering. I was fearful. I was fearful of both my own men deserting me and also the Philistines who were mounting may have been coming. So I forced myself to make these sacrifices. So in other words, Saul, you didn't trust in God. You disobeyed God. You didn't trust what Samuel was doing as God's spokesperson at that point and waiting for him. You took things into your own hands. And then you forced yourself to do it. Well, that's how you actually termed it to sort of cover up that there. So there's one episode of Saul. Let's have a look at another one here, skipping over a couple of chapters into 15, and we'll see the same thing again occurring here as we see this contrast of Saul. Here Saul is commanded to exercise God's judgment upon the Amalekites for their grievous sinning against the Lord. Saul is told to destroy everything of the Amalekites, both men, women, and all the livestock. Leave nothing untouched. We see this here in verse 3. He says this, Uh, Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. It's a really tricky verse, that one. Atheists like to pull that verse out and say, oh, I can see what Christianity is. It's a genocidal religion. 
you actually go and take out whole groups of people. If you've been in any sort of apologetic debates, it normally gets to that point at somewhere along the debate. Just a small digression as we just think about that, just for just a brief moment. We make no apologies for this part of Scripture because it's all inspired by the Lord. But having said that, we approach something like this with fear and trembling, knowing that God is holy and God is just and God does no wrong. In God's divine order, at that time, he ordains that judgment is to be carried out on this evil group of people and at that time to be carried out swiftly. We can't give any other explanation for that other than God does no wrong and that's what he's ordained to take place at that time. But we can also say this, uh, that in the New Testament there are no such divine orders today for today's church to carry out that type of justice. It happened at, at that time and at that place and according to, to God's divine order. Let's jump back into our story then. Saul's army then starts destroying the Amalekites, but some of the soldiers want to keep the best of the livestock for themselves. But what's the command? The command is to destroy all of the livestock, to not leave any. And what does Saul do? Saul doesn't do anything to stop them from taking the animals from the cells, that is the soldiers. He fears losing his soldiers, so he lets them do as they want. What's Saul doing there? He's showing us he's not a man after God's heart. He's fearing man. He's fearing the soldiers leaving him. Saul is a person who often fears man first and he actually begins to cave into approval pressure at this time. And we're going to see a bit of this over the next couple of weeks as well. Saul fears what others will think about him. He's more concerned about that than actually obeying the Lord. Saul fears if he, if he doesn't please his men, he'll lose his grip on power. Even if it means doing the wrong thing, Saul will choose to fear man first and not God. Now let's move this through a bit further. When we have the fear of man ramping up in our hearts or ramping up in our minds that we're fearful of man, it is normally counterbalanced by a lack of the fear of God. So as the fear of man rises, the fear of God goes down. That's what happens as we begin to fear man and uh, seek their approval. And when there's no fear of God, or when the fear of God is going down, 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 we simply disobey what God tells us to do because we fear man more than we reverently fear the God who's created us. Let's see that again in, this, in chapter 15. Verse 9 tells us here uh, this, But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep and of the oxen, of the fattened calves and the lambs, and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction. Well, that's even telling us something, isn't it? We only want the best and we'll just get rid of all the lame ones and the main ones and the broken ones. But they were told to take it all out. Have a look here in verses 10 and 11. We see God's reaction along with Samuel's to what has just happened here in uh, Amalek. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. So in other words, God's speaking to Samuel now. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel, Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. Now regret here doesn't mean that God's made the wrong decision. That's not what the word regret means in this particular 
context. Regret here is the sense of pain that God feels over the evil actions that take place. It's this sort of thing that causes him grief. As we said the other way, God is a feeling God, but feelings are totally in control. The regret is the grief. It's like, oh, as he sees the rebellion and the rejection of Saul before him, mean, he's just, oh, it's like that regret of that taking place. And this is what happens. Saul's disobedience causes this grief over sin that God feels. Samuel comes now and he calls out Saul for this disobedience. God's told him what's taken place towards God's command to completely destroy the Amalekites at this time. Now we're getting another picture of Saul here as this takes place. Look at Saul's greeting to Samuel as he begins to come down now to actually ask Saul, what have you done basically again? So here we see in verse 13, and Samuel came to Saul... And then Saul's on the front foot and said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Have you, Saul? Really? You have performed the commandment of the Lord? Have you, have you, is that what you've really done, Saul? Saul, who do you think you are fooling? You can see this nearly cocky attitude of Saul here. He's on the front foot. What does Samuel do? Samuel takes Saul back to the beginnings of his life. He says, hey, in verses 17 onwards, you were just in the shepherd looking for donkeys and I came and made you the king of Israel. And then I told you the God-given responsibility of being a king is to fully obey the Lord, Samuel, uh, Saul. But now Samuel begins to call it out, what he's done. He says here in verse 19, Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil, grabbed it, took it for yourself? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord, rejecting God's commandment? We see more inside of Paul in verses 20 and 21. He says, But I did obey the Lord. I did. I brought back Agag, king of the Amalekites. And the soldiers, well, they just wanted the livestock to make sacrifices for the Lord. Ah, right. So that makes it all good now. Because you can keep some as long as you use it for a sacrifice. That gives you an excuse now to reject the Lord's commandments. Isn't that what we do sometimes? Sometimes hypocritically, we we cover up our disobedience to God's commands by saying, it's for the Lord's purposes though. Maybe, maybe we do a shady deal in selling something. It's defective. But we just stick it up on Facebook Marketplace or something like that and we don't quite tell the buyer the true condition of whatever we're selling. It's defective. And we pocket the money And to cover up the lie of not giving its true condition, well, I'm I'm going to give some of this money to Jesus. And that sort of covers it up. It makes it all okay. I made this little sacrifice, I'll give some money to Jesus, but, but I'm going to cover a lie with that sacrifice. Well, in no uncertain terms, Saul, Samuel tells Saul, it's over. God has rejected you as king. Have a look in 22 and 23 here. And Samuel said, 
Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? There's a question there. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. It's not happening, uh, Saul. There's a question there in verse 22. And the answer to that question is no. No. The Lord simply wants us to obey him as we should do. You know, we can cover all of our disobedience with a million sacrifices or offerings or all these things we, that we're going to offer to the Lord, trying to cover over our disobedience, and it means nothing to the Lord. He sees right through that and he sees what's happening in our heart. God simply asks us, obey him as our rightful, true Lord and King, to obey him. You see, disobedience is the default position for all of us in life. There's a sense where we all want to be self-autonomous. We want to rule ourselves. We don't like being told what to do. Let me ask you this. Do you really like, do you really like to be told what to do all the time? Does that push your happy buttons? Do you really enjoy being told by your supervisor what to do and when to do it all the time? Do you really enjoy coming under someone else's authority and being told what to do all the time? Often we think we know better than what our supervisor is telling us. I've got a better way of doing this. And you might have that right answer sometimes. And we begin to resent being told what to do. Or kids, teenagers, do you like it when mum and dad tell you what to do all the time? Please don't put your hands up because I know what the answer will be. It'll be no, you don't enjoy it. Maybe some of the time we're okay with being told what to do and listening and obeying. Maybe some of the time, but after a while, we just get sick of it. We, we, we just want to do our own thing. We just want to break out of that and just do our own thing. Because deep within us, within our culture, there's a fallback position. We don't want to obey. We just want to go our own way. We just want to do our own thing. And that's the world and the culture that surrounds us, and that's all in us as well. This is where King Saul is at. He doesn't truly fear God, his maker, and ultimate capital K king. So therefore, Saul doesn't think, I have to obey this king. I don't have to. But Samuel tells him here in verse 23 that rebelling against God and presuming your own way, presumptuous, is an outright grievous sin against God. You've rejected the word of the Lord. You've rejected listening to him. So who's rejected you as a king? Now you would think, what a disaster. But Saul still doesn't see it. He is so blinded by his sinfulness here that he can't even see the disaster this is. If you go through the next six verses, you'll see Saul makes these hypocritical attempts, as it were, to say sorry, but he doesn't really say sorry. And then ask Samuel, please come and, and worship the Lord be, uh, with me before all the people. Let's have a look at one of them here in verses 24 and 25. After this has been spoken, Saul says to Samuel, I have sinned. 
for I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Okay, well, he's honest about one thing at least. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. Now, if you read through what was happening of Saul, here's what he was about in this little passage of scripture. Instead of falling on his face with absolute sorrow and contrition and humility for the way he's sinned before the Lord, instead of falling on his face, he wants to keep face with the people. How's he going to do that? They respect Samuel. Samuel, please, please come with me and offer a sacrifice because that way I know if you're with me, people will still think it's okay because they respect you. So instead of falling on his face... He's just trying to save face, as it were, by being seen with the right people. And what we'll see now with Saul over these next few chapters is just go from bad to worse. He's gone down this pathway of disobedience. And as soon as you choose the road of disobedience before the Lord, things don't get better. Things just get worse. We will see Saul become a wretched, jealous and tortured individual over these next few chapters. You'll actually feel for him and the way his life is actually imploding on the inside. But he's happy to go down that pathway at this stage. But this is the king that Israel wanted. God's saying, if this is what you want, then that's what you'll get. Now, we could end on a COA note here, Saul, and I don't want us to do that today. I want us to step back to the original context that God set the kingship in, and it was back in verse uh, chapter 12, 14, where it says at the end there, if you obey the Lord, it will go well for you. If you obey the Lord, it will go well for you. I want to just ask this question here, what does that mean for us, go well for you? Well, I want to take us to Psalm chapter 1 here, and this is a psalm written by the next king, the king following Saul, And this psalm says this in verses 1 to 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But this blessed man does this in verse 2. But his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord, God's word. And on his law, on God's word, on God's truth, he meditates day and night. Who is he? He's like a a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. Isn't that a beautiful picture? When we obey the Lord, when we meditate on God's word, when we actually think that in our hearts and our lives and live our life according to that, we're like a tree. We're like a tree that stands strong through all the seasons of life, regardless of what comes at us. The challenges will come, thick and fast. But in obedience before the Lord, as a tree planted by the streams of water, which is like the person meditating on God's word, we will know God's strength, we will know God's life, we will know God's peace, and we will know God's joy. It'll go well for you in that dynamic. You're not immune from the challenges of life, but you'll know all of God's strength and life and love and peace flowing through your soul and his presence with you, stepping through those challenges. It gives a clear conscience of obedience that yields to us the blessings of peace, the unhindered love of God flowing in our hearts as we obey him and a sense of this openness between myself and the Lord as I live in obedience before him. 
And this obedience before the Lord creates this joyful space to serve him and to yield our lives to him in absolute trust. See, this is what we do here at Exchange Church. We are seeking to grow strong disciples of Christ in this living and loving relationship with the Lord. To know what it is to obey the Lord. And really what this is in obedience, this is discipleship 101. This is just foundations of being a disciple in Christ, is walking and living in obedience before the Lord. It's a glad submission, not a dragged submission. It's a glad submission to come before the Lord as a good and loving king. Now, if we think about this for a moment, let's not get confused as we think about obedience, that it's somehow an instant touchscreen sort of culture, what we have now, where we just touch it and order it and it just turns up that day, like we just do this once and it's all over. This, uh, obedience is not like that in the pathway of discipleship. Obedience is a long-haul commitment for the disciple of Christ. It's something I do today and then I maybe do it next week or... No, no, it's, it's day after day. Actually, a, a man called Eugene Peterson wrote this book called this... A long obedience in the same direction. That is the description of Christian discipleship. A long obedience in the same direction. Walking towards the Lord, keeping our eyes focused on him and living in obedience. Day after day after day after day until our life is finished on this earth. Don't be surprised though by the testings of this world to our obedience to the Lord. They'll come thick and they'll come fast. Uh, We just saw Saul tested multiple times just then. They'll come thick and they'll come fast towards us in no different way. Each and every day we'll be posed with that question. Will I do the right thing or will I do the wrong thing? Will I obey what God tells me to do or will I just go and do my own thing? Every day, thick and fast, these choices will come to us. And let me remind you of this. Doing the wrong thing comes real easily to us because that's our default position to sort of go back there. To do the wrong thing becomes an easy avenue for us. But God rescues us from that with the new heart that he gives to us and he enables us to do the right thing. He gives us the strength required for that and doing the right thing will be difficult. It won't be easy, it will be difficult. Don't be surprised that obedience will be very costly for you. It might cost you friends, it might cost you a job, and it might even cost you money at times. Obedience will will cost that. There are people who have lost their job for standing up for their convictions of the gospel. They've been actually forced out of employment. We we just saw that only a few weeks ago at the Essendon Football Club. That was costly, wasn't it? Obedient to the Lord, cost. What do we do? We keep King Jesus in our focus. Not looking to, as it were, earn anything by our obedience. We don't earn anything by that. But knowing that through the obedience that Jesus achieved for us at the cross makes us right before the Lord already. So we're not obeying to earn some position. That's been given to us by Christ. What are we doing now? We're obeying Jesus as a glad act of worship. And what flows out of that is peace and joy and righteousness in this relationship we have with God through obedience. That's the obedience the Lord wants us to engage in today. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you that we can uh, begin to reflect here about what you're doing through the life of Israel. And as you uh, begin to put a kingdom and a kingship in place in an earthly perspective. Father, I pray, please help us today to see what you're teaching us through here, not to be like Saul. But Lord, you're teaching us to be obedient and to trust you. You're teaching us, Lord, to recognise again that you are our creator. You know exactly what's required for our life. And you are to be trusted in everything. Help us to come before you today, Lord, I pray, and to obey your word gladly, willingly. Lord, give us the strength when those choices come. Will I obey or will I disobey? Will I honour God or will I just go my own way? Help us to see that, Lord, it truly is a long obedience in the same direction, heading towards you, walking obediently every day. And may we, Lord, know through that that we will be a tree planted by the streams of water, yielding its, our fruit in its season, and our leaf will not wither because of your peace and your joy and your strength and your love being infused and flowing through our lives as we live with the presence of your spirit. Give us that strength today, Lord, I pray, and I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.